Well, we're in week number four of a series called Stop Acting Like a Christian. And I know on a surface level that that seems a little contradictory for a pastor to be telling you to stop acting like a Christian. But over the course of the last three weeks, we've talked about the importance of being a Christian instead of doing Christian things. And we talked about the difference uh, that gives us a freedom from saying we don't have to do certain things to qualify for this thing called Christian, but it's something that Jesus has done for us, and we just have to receive what he's done for us. And it gives us a freedom to be who we are in Christ instead of feeling the pressure to put up facades and act as if we do everything just right in this life. Uh, Today, uh, I want to take it a step further from last week. If you were here last week, we talked about what it means to become a Christian. We talked about what it meant to be a Christian. Um, If you weren't here, um, I really encourage you to go and listen to the podcast or you can go to our website and listen to it on the sermons page. But I basically uh, shared the the how-tos on how to become a Christian and what that looks like. Uh, So today is kind of a follow-up with that. It's kind of like, well, what's next? So I've become a Christian, Uh, what should I expect and what are my uh, next steps and and how does my life look now compared to how it looked before I met Jesus and and I'll just go ahead and forewarn you today is going to be a little ADD, I'm going to be a little bit all over the place and I'm just going to in some ways feel like I'm sharing a rant. And um, here's, here's what I need you to know. Um, if you feel as though I'm sharing a rant today, it's because this week, as I've been thinking about this message and just meditating and thinking through what we're going to be talking about, uh, God really dealt with me personally about a lot of things. And so if you feel like I'm ranting, it's probably because I'm looking into a mirror instead of looking at you today. Um, and and ha- I have a feeling that some of you are going to agree with some things that sound like a rant, and some of us hopefully will find today extremely helpful as we move forward in this thing called church and Christian. So here's how I want to start today. Um, I'm going to make up a story. This gives you permission to freely say that pastors do make up things that they talk about. Um, I'm going to admit that up front. I'm going to make up a story. I'm going to share it with you, uh, and then I'm going to share my response to the story that I made up with you, and, and hopefully it'll give us a starting point. Um, Imagine with me that you are in a hardware store. You've got some special projects going on at home. You've got a couple of tools that you didn't have to complete the job. So you went to the hardware store to grab some tools. You went and found the tools you needed, and you're now in line to check out. You're going to pay for those tools and go and do your project. You're in a hurry, but you're in a line, okay? There's probably five or six people in the line. There's two men in front of you in the line, and you, uh, not intentionally, but just because you're in proximity of them, hear a conversation that they're having between one another, and it's a disturbing conversation. Here's how the conversation goes. One of the men says to the other man, the other man um, he says, you know, I just love the thrill that I get when I kill someone. Like, it's just, it's just this sensation that I just love. I mean, killing someone is one of my favorite things to do in the whole world. And you're like, is he being for real? Like, what are they talking about? And the other guy says back to him, yeah, man, I totally agree. It's like, it's the best feeling in the world. Like, I tried it out last year for the first time. And I got to tell you, man, I like, I'm hooked. I'm addicted. And so the first guy says to the second guy, you know, sometimes I just like to feel really powerful, you know, like a bullet to the brain and just end it instantly. And I just feel like, man, I just dominated you and I feel great about myself. It's just awesome. And the other guy's like, yeah, I mean, that's cool and all, but I really like the slow death, you know, like where you torture them and they're like begging for mercy and you're just like, yeah, you're not going to get it, you know. And they're being really graphic and gruesome in their conversation and you're getting disgusted like, are they being for real? 
And it hits you as they began to share real life experiences on times where they've killed other human beings that they're for real. And part of you is like freaking out, like, are they about to turn on me and like take my life? Am I going to be a victim that they're going to be bragging to the next person about? Um, Do I need to go call the cops? Is this for real? I don't know. And you're just so confused. But in the moment, you're like, I think they're being serious. And let's just assume that they are. They're being serious. They enjoy taking the life of another human being, okay? Fast forward a few minutes. The line has diminished. They're now at the register. The clerk is about to check them out. And they notice that there on the counter is uh, a pile of brochures for the church that the clerk attends. So the first guy who said to the other guy, I get this incredible rush when I take someone's life. I mean, it's the biggest thrill of my life. He says, hey, man, you go to church? And the clerk's like, yeah, 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 actually, I helped start this church, man. It's an incredible church. I, I love it. Like, it's just really cool. It's, it's a little different from what you might be used to, but I just, I love it. And, and, and guy number one that gets the thrill from killing people, you know, the fast death, I take power over you, just dominate you. He's like, man, I've been in church my whole life. I love church. It's like, it's so refreshing to me to have long, complicated weeks. And then I go to church and I just get refreshed. I get encouraged. I feel like I can make it through another week because my church is just so important for you, for me. Then the other guy says, yeah, man, church, like my parents, they taught me to go to church when I was really young and, and it's really impacted me. I bet your church is really cool. We might come check it out one day. And this, this clerk at the counter is like, yeah, you really should take one. You know, invite your friends. We love, we love people to come. And they simply turn and walk out the door. And you come to the counter and you're like, I just heard polar opposite conversations from these two men who claim to be outright murderers, but then talk about how much they love church. If you heard that conversation for real, I haven't heard that conversation for real. But if I heard that conversation for real, I'm getting kind of angry, if I'm being honest with you. Because here's... Here's my kind of rant for the moment. I don't like hypocrites. I am not a fan of hypocrites. I do not like people who say one thing and then their lifestyle doesn't live up to what they claim. Okay? Now, I made up the story including people who love to murder people because my hope is, my sincere hope is that no one in this room loves killing people. Okay? I didn't want to use a different sin, if you will, as an example, because I didn't want any of you to feel targeted today. And so my hope is that you're not a murderous person and you can kind of relate with me on this issue. If you are, um, I've got some other people that you can talk to afterwards that can help you. I'm afraid of you. But don't you, don't you, I mean, you would even say you hate hypocrites on some levels. The people who say one thing, but they do another thing, they, they claim to be someone, even if it's not spiritual, they just claim to be something and they're not. And you're like, dude, you're a total fake, man. I can't stand people who aren't real, who claim something. It's just talk is cheap. And all they do is talk about things that they th- want people to think about them. But in real life, they're completely different. I can't stand it. When I come across a hypocrite, I'm just so frustrated And to be honest with you, I find myself a lot of times in my own heart and in my own mind judging people saying, you know, you're doing so much harm to the church. You're doing so much harm to the kingdom of God because you're leading people to think that people like you are Christians. And you know what I hate even more? 
what I just completely dis- dislike that disgusts me more than even that conversation if it was real. It's when I look in the mirror and I see staring back at me that hypocrite. I see that man staring back at me who claims to be something, who wants to be something, but oftentimes falls short of being who he wants to be and who he claims to be. See, it's easy for me to see hypocrisy in others. It's easy for me to to see where other people fall short. And a lot of times, to be honest, it kind of makes me feel as if I'm a better Christian, as if there's a such thing as a bad Christian and a good Christian. But the truth hurts when I look in the mirror and I have to admit to myself that I'm not perfect and I don't always get it right and I don't always live up to who I want to be. Now, I'll just be real with you and and candid here. Um, I don't murder people. Okay, so you can rest easy. I'm not coming for you. Like, I'm not psyching myself up for what the thrill is going to be when I come and take your life. It's not going to happen. You don't have to worry about that. I wasn't like confessing deep down inner secrets there. But I get so frustrated when I struggle with things on a personal level that I feel like, as someone who's been a Christian since 12 days before my eighth birthday, I shouldn't struggle with anymore. And I have a hard time living up to things that I should live up to. And I say things, and I think things, and I hear things, and I do things, And I find satisfaction in things that are contrary to the person I want to be as a Christian. I'm not talking about like major sins. I'm not talking about like, you know, I'm out addicted to, you know, substances and I've got a secret life that no one knows about. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. I'm talking about when I know something is wrong and I desire to do what's right and I fall short. Even if I try hard, I fall short at times. Today, what I want to talk about is what do we do when the person we want to be as a follower of Jesus and the person we really are don't always align. And there's a gap in between who we really are and who we want to be. How can we close that gap? That's what I want to talk to you about today. And hopefully, if you're like me, you can identify with struggling through life over issues and things that you want to get on top of, but you just have a hard time. Here's the truth. Let's, let's talk about kind of coming from last week. Last week, we talked about how to become a Christian and what it looks like to be a Christian um, and, and what that process looks like and what Jesus actually does for us. Remember, we talked about uh, that Jesus trades our sin for his righteousness and he does for us what we can't do for ourselves, and it's a beautiful thing. Um, and, and in order to get us to the point that I want to talk through today, um, I, I need you to kind of think of becoming a Christian uh, actually like, like the birth process. If you've, if you've had a son or a daughter, um, you've seen that birth process, you know that it's a messy process, okay? That's all I gotta say about that. It's a messy process. There's joy that comes from it, but it's not clean and neat. It's, it's a messy process. And becoming a Christian sometimes is just as messy. Because if we have issues and we have things in our life that don't line up with what the Bible teaches us 
our lives should look like if we're following Jesus. And then Jesus rescues us and he, he trades our sin for his righteousness and we become in him the righteousness of God. Um, we think in our minds that life should just come easy and perfect now. I don't know if you've ever thought that. I thought that when I became a Christian. Now that I'm a Christian, like it's going to be easy to be perfect and I'll never have bad thoughts and I'll never have bad desires and everything just kind of will make sense now. But the truth is, is that, let me put it this way. What Jesus did for us on the cross canceled the penalty of our sin. Okay, the penalty, the wages of our sin was death. He canceled that. Okay, he broke the power of sin. So sin no longer enslaves us. We are freed from the power of sin. But still remaining is the presence of sin. Like you'll never escape the presence of sin until you go to be with the Lord in heaven. Because we still live in a fallen world. So though we don't owe the penalty of sin anymore, we've been freed from the power of sin. The presence of sin is still very much present in our lives. And we still have an ongoing battle with our flesh and who we used to be. It's almost as if who we used to be comes knocking on our door and it's like, hey, remember me and how much fun we used to have? Like, come back just one more time. You'll love this. And it's like it just pulls at us. And we're like, dude, I'm done with you. Like, I'm, I'm new. I'm a new creation. You're, you're in the past. But we find ourselves in times like just being pulled, pulled back. And I get frustrated about that. And if you get frustrated about that today, I want us to talk about how we can close that gap. But the first thing that I want you to know, if you feel like there's a gap between who you want to be and who you really are, I want you to know this, that you're not alone. That just because you have struggles in this gap, just because you aren't perfect like you want to be, and just, just because you make some bad decisions and you still have some issues that you're trying to work through, doesn't mean that you're a bad Christian and it doesn't mean that what Jesus did for you didn't work, and you didn't, like, I need to go try that again because apparently it didn't work. I'm still thinking the same things. It, it means you're normal. That's what it means. In fact, in fact, I want to share a scripture with you that hopefully will encourage you if that's you and you feel that way, as I do sometimes. It's a passage of scripture found in the book of Romans. It was written by a man named Paul. And before I read the scripture to you, I want to tell you a few things about Paul. See, Paul used to be known as Saul. Saul was an evil man. Saul's mission in life was to persecute the church. See, he lived during the age when the church was growing and spreading and, and, and just taking off. And people were hearing the good news of Jesus and they were believing in it. And they were, uh, they were uh, telling others about it. And it was this movement that was just taking over the world at that time. And he was part of a group of people that were like, hey, this whole Christian thing, like we got to end it. Like these people, they're telling people they're believing it, and, and it's just it's changing things, and we've got we to gotta stop this. And so he would travel from city to city in search of people uh, that were part of the church, and his goal, his mission was to stop them. He would, he, would, uh, he would persecute them. He would torture them. He was even present, we know, uh, in the book of Acts when a man named Stephen was put to death for being a Christian, and, and he was there, so we know that he in part was responsible for helping to kill Christians and to eliminate them from the world as they knew it in that day. This was a bad man, okay? This wasn't some person who had everything together. In fact, the day that everything changed for him, he was going to a city called Damascus. 
And while he was on the road to Damascus, he had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life. He was literally blinded. He saw a bright light. God spoke to him through a man named Aeneas, and he had a complete conversion. So this man who used to persecute the church and try to stop the church and eliminate people who were spreading the message of the church became a man named Paul who was one of the greatest ambassadors for Christ the world will ever know. He went on to write letters to churches that he started and traveled and helped encourage. Those letters compile about half of the New Testament in the Bible that we read today. This was a man who was incredibly godly when all was said and done. He was, he was tortured. He was beaten for his faith just like he used to do to others. He endured a lot of hardship for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ because he believed in it that much. We're talking about a man who had incredible faith and I want to read to you what he says in Romans chapter number 7, starting in verse number 15. Maybe you can relate to what he says here. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. You ever felt that way? That's how I feel sometimes. I'm honest with you. I'm, I'm like, that's who I'm supposed to be, and that's what I want to do. But I find myself doing things that I don't want to do, things I hate. I find myself doing things, and, and what I want to do, I don't do those things. He goes on to say, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, as it, is it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. And listen, this is important. This is important. You say, well, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, there's no sin in my life. Not according to the Apostle Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament that you claim to live according to. He had struggles with sin. He had some issues that he tried to work through. I'm sure he wasn't out killing Christians anymore, but he had some things that he struggled through. Enough that he wanted to encourage us with these words to remind us that living the Christian life isn't easy. And it's not simple, it's complicated, and it's messy. Verse 18, he says, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature, acknowledging that we still have an old man that's hanging on to us, who we once were still haunts us from time to time. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. I'm like, that's, that's where I'm at sometimes. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Okay, so the issue here isn't that you're a bad person and you're corrupt. It's that you've got a past. You've got a sinful nature. You've got presence of sin in your life that is having an effect on you. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law at sin, the law of sin at work in my members. Now listen to this next statement that he makes. In light of his struggles to close the gap, to be who he wants to be, in Jesus. Listen to his conclusion. What a wretched man I am. What an evil person I am. How I am just, I've got so many issues. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? 
You're like, you're not doing a lot to encourage me this morning, Bronson. You're not really making me feel good about myself. You're reminding me that I've got issues, and I want us to start there. Yes, we have issues. Verse 25, this is the good news. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Just like you couldn't do anything to be saved, it was all about what God did for you, and you simply received it, you can't be who he wants you to be on your own either. It doesn't matter how hard we try. We can never be disciplined enough to live a perfect life. It takes Jesus' power and the power of his Holy Spirit working in us and through us to help us live in victory over our sinful nature. Sin is present. And here's the news for us. This is what we got to understand. If we want to close the gap and be who God wants us to be, it's a fight. It's a war. It's all-out attack. Well, we have to realize that our sinful nature is at war with us. And if we don't fight back, if we don't go on the offensive, if we don't strengthen ourselves in the Lord and become strong in who He is, then we'll, we'll lose battles. We'll find ourselves making decisions that we're like, I can't believe I made that decision. How did that even happen? How am I doing things that I shouldn't be struggling with? Like, this should be things like back when I got saved 12 years ago. Why am I still in the same place? You're not alone. I want you to understand that. If you have these feelings, if that's where you feel like life looks like to you, you're not alone. Even, even the most godly man who wrote half the New Testament was in the same boat. So here's the question. How do we close that gap between who we want to be and who we really are? I'm going to try to make it simple for us. It's one step at a time. It's one step at a time. It's a continuous, ongoing process by which we're closing the gap and learning, and being molded, and being made into who God wants us to be. It's a fight. It's hard work. It takes a lot out of us. It requires some discipline, but it requires an open arm to receive God's grace to do in us and through us what we can't do for ourselves. But it's one step at a time. Some of you in the room, I need to give you some permission Here's a permission I need to give you. Some of you in the room, you may not call yourself a Christian. Okay, I just want to acknowledge you're here. I think it's awesome that you're here, that you would trust us enough to come and sit through this worship experience with people who claim to be Christians, worshiping God. Maybe you're here checking it out. Maybe you're here because a friend convinced you to come. I don't know what your story is. Um, but here's my permission for you. I'm going to talk about a couple of things in the next few moments and I'm going to be talking to Christians. So if you're not a Christian, you don't claim to follow Christ, the whole Jesus thing isn't for you. Um, I don't expect you to live according to a standard that you never claimed to live according to. Does that make sense? I say that for this reason. I feel like the church has become known in a lot of ways for expecting people outside of the faith 
to live their lives the way people inside the faith live their lives when the truth is people inside of the faith sometimes secretly live their lives like people who are outside of the faith. And we throw these projections on people and because of that, people come to church and they have this mindset like, I can't really talk about things I struggle with. I can't really tell people that because they expect me to be perfect and they'll start pointing fingers at me. I mean, it's okay if they point people, fingers at people out there, but if they start pointing fingers at me, you know, then I get really uncomfortable. So I'm just going to kind of hide some things and we're not going to talk about some things and I'll just figure some things out on my own and that's just not the way the church is designed is we need each other to strengthen each other, to encourage each other. So if you're here and, and you would say, you know, I'm not really into the Jesus thing, then this is your kind of permission slip. You can just sit back and laugh at us if you, you think that what we're trying to do here is kind of a ridiculous goal. But if you're here and you've got issues and there's a gap in your life, I want you to know too that there's no one that's going to be pointing fingers at you. Because starting with me, there's some gaps that need to be closed. One step at a time... I say one step at a time because in order for us to close that, close that gap, what has to happen for us as Christians is that we begin to grow in our faith. Like, isn't there something deeper? It's got to be some kind of scripture, like something I can quote, you know, kind of like some lotion I just rub on something and it vanishes, makes the pain go away. No. When you grow in your faith, you're closing the gap. You're becoming who God wants you to be who you want to be in him. It's called spiritual maturity. And growing in our faith is a process. It's not an overnight event. So just because you come to Christ, just because you become a Christian, just because you become saved or born again, however you want to say it, doesn't mean that you instantly become perfect. Now, I've seen God instantaneously remove some things from people's lives, miraculous do things for people who were like addicted to things and God freed them from things instantly and that's incredible, I love that, but it's not like that for everyone all the time. If you've got a past, you've got things which you've struggled with and you become a Christian, you still have to fight against those things. Luckily, you have the grace of God with you in your fight. But when we grow in our faith, we close the gap. Have you ever noticed that when we think of growth, we think of time? Like when we think of babies being born, like when they're 15 years old, like they're, they're growing, they look different, they do things differently when they're babies. You know, they can't really do much for themselves. They have to have things done for them. And as they become older, they can do things on their own. And there's this assumption that as Christians, time equals maturity. And it's just not the case. It's different. It's different. You, you can be a Christian for 20 years and still be a baby in Christ if you don't grow. The truth is, spiritual maturity, spiritual growth is your responsibility. It's my responsibility. As Christians, we have to take responsibility for our own growth. Some people don't like to hear that because they feel as though it's the church's responsibility for them to grow. Like they think if they just go to the right church long enough, then they're going to become spiritually mature. And they think that like just being there is going to make them spiritually mature, but it just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. That's why people struggle with the same thing for years and years and years, and they just can't get past certain things in their lives because they're not 
growing necessarily. And so here's what I want to tell you. It's what I want to encourage you with. On the fact that it's your responsibility for you to grow, it's my responsibility for me to grow, but as we grow together, we can encourage each other in our growth. It's a beautiful thing called the church. I hear from time to time people make statements like, you know, I'm going to try a different church because I just don't really get fed at my church. And they've been maybe in church their whole lives and And they think that perhaps if they go to a different church that feeds them better, they'll become more mature as a Christian. But truthfully, if you're looking for someone to feed you, what are you? You're a child, right? You're a baby. Babies can't feed themselves. If you're simply looking for someone to feed you, if that's why you come to church, it's okay if that's where you're at. But don't get mad at people when they don't feed you the way you want to be fed. When you need to learn to feed yourself, that's called spiritual growth. It's called taking responsibility for who you are in Christ. It's a different mindset for the church when you learn to take responsibility for your own growth instead of expecting someone else to be responsible for your growth. Here's sad news for you. This will be bad news for some of you. Uh, On the day you die, if you stand before Jesus and you give account for your life, and he says, you know, I noticed that you haven't really grown a lot in your faith. Let's just say that maybe he says that. If you use this excuse, listen, I went to Synergy Church for 18 years. Matt Bronson didn't get it done for me. I'm telling you, like I sat there and I kept thinking, like if he would just feed me better, if he would do his job better, then I would be more mature. And you need to go talk to him because I think that he's just, he fell short, for me at least. I mean, Jesus isn't going to come to me and say, hey, you know, they're saying you didn't feed them well enough. You know, it's on you. I'm going to hold account for my life. You're going to hold account for your life. Now, I'm going to be judged differently than you because I am a pastor for every word that I say. Scary thought for me. But you're responsible for your own growth. And how you grow is one step at a time. Listen to what Peter says. Uh, Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. He wrote uh, the book of First, First Peter. Um, he says this. Uh, this is First Peter one twenty three. He says, "For you have been born again." Talked about that last week. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. So God's Word transforms our hearts. Verse twenty four. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. That's incredible news. God's Word lasts forever. His Word is the transforming principle in our hearts. Uh, that's a great thing. Uh, and this is the Word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice. All deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, here it is, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. Babies need milk. There comes a time when they start eating like some baby food, some pureed vegetables, some pureed fruit, some things a little more solid. And then they advance to some toddler foods. And then they began eating real food. There's, there's a process there by which they grow up, but it starts with pure spiritual milk. And so if you're new to the faith, like God's word for you is like, it's like that milk. 
It gives you the nourishment that you need to sustain you, to help you grow. But then we have a responsibility to grow up into our salvation and become who God wants us to be. And, and why do we do that? Verse 3, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. You, you remember like when you, when you came to Christ, you had that experience, you, you were born again, and you were just so passionate about Jesus. You loved Jesus, you told everybody about Jesus, you read your Bible, you prayed, you were just on top of the world. Kind of like when you first got married, if you're married, you would do anything to impress your woman, your man. You would go above and beyond to make them happy. You, would, you were just head over heels for them. Then after you've been married for some years, what happens? You kind of lose some of that, some of that zeal. Kind of the, the newness of the relationship wears off. And it gets to the point when you have kids and stuff that your wife makes a statement like mine made to me this week. Where she says, you know, we haven't really even been on a date in a little while. And I realized, like, unintentionally, wow, you're right. Like, life's just been busy, and I haven't made that a priority. And our relationship with God's the same way. We're, like, so excited, and, you know, we got this zeal to serve the Lord, and then life happens, and there's some tragedies, and some things don't go our way, and we just get busy, and life hurts, and before we know it, we look across this gap and we're like, wow, like, how did I get back to this place? And we have to start growing into our salvation. It's hard work. It doesn't come easy always. And just because we look at people who struggle with things that we don't struggle with doesn't mean that we don't have a gap. Here's what I find as I grow in the Lord is that my gap, it may seem to get small to others, but the gap just changes. There's always going to be a gap for me. I think Paul would say the same thing. That there's always a gap. Like I don't struggle with things I used to struggle with. I've moved beyond that. But now there's things that I'm like, oh yeah. I probably shouldn't do that that I've been doing all these years that isn't really a big deal to some people. You know, I have this little thing in my life that doesn't seem significant and now God is like, hey, that's a big deal now. You know, let's, let's change that. Let's change that gap. Let's work at this. There's always something in our life that we need to work on that helps us grow and become more like Jesus. So I'm going to give you two baby steps. For some of you, these aren't going to mean much. Perhaps you've already taken these baby steps. Next week, I'm going to give you um, more steps, next steps. I think everyone has a next step to take when it comes to growing in your faith. Next week, I'm going to give you a lot of next steps, specifically at Synergy Church on how we want to help you grow in your faith. But I want to give you two next steps, and, and it's based on a passage of Scripture found in the book of Acts. Um, in the book of Acts, the church was birthed. Acts chapter number 2, Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost. He proclaims the good news of Jesus. 3,000 people were added to the church that day alone. Incredible thing happened. Um, and listen to what um, Peter says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter replied, 
when, when people had heard the message and they asked the question like, what do we do with this? We've heard it, we believe it, what do we do with this? Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so for the next three or four minutes, I want to talk to you about repent and be baptized. And I'm going to start with be baptized. Baptism is a tradition of the church uh, that has looked differently across different denominations, but it's a staple of the Christian faith. Jesus himself was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. Um, It is something that is a next step for every Christian. Um, I believe that God calls us as a step of obedience once we've accepted Christ to be baptized. Um, And here's here's what baptism is. Baptism is a public profession of an inward decision to follow Jesus, to accept Christ. And what we do is we, before people, uh, proclaim that I have become a Christian. We identify with the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus when we go under the water and we come back up into newness of life. If you've never been water baptized, it's an easy next step for you to take. We'd love to help you take that. Um, And here's the back end of what I want to say on that. Um, Some people were baptized when they were kids. Maybe they were sprinkled. Maybe that looked differently. Uh, And then as they became adults, they became Christians. I've had conversations with people who are like, you know, I was baptized when I was a kid. You know, am I good? You know, I want to make sure I'm, I'm good. Like, I want to make sure I don't miss anything here. Um, and and here's, here's what I teach and what I, I tell people. Baptism is a step of obedience subsequent or after conversion. So if you were baptized as a child, um, typically the heart behind that, even from the churches that still do that, is, is that one day you will become a Christian. And so it's anticipating a reality for you. Um, but baptizo is the Greek word for baptism there, which means to fully immerse. And so we teach that baptism is full immersion. You go completely underwater. You come back up after conversion. So if you've accepted Christ and you've never had that experience, that's the next step for you. You say, well, that doesn't seem like it will change much in my life. It starts with small steps. Maybe for you, letting people know that you've accepted Christ is a big deal. For some people, faith is a private thing. Now listen to me. Faith is completely personal, but faith in Christ is not private. And there's nothing in Scripture that teaches us that faith should be private. In fact, Jesus himself said that if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. So baptism is just a simple opportunity for us to take a simple step and say, hey, I've identified with Christ, I've been born again, and allow us to celebrate with you. It's a a simple step that has huge impact in your life. It's a day that you'll never forget. The second step that he talks about here, he says, repent and be baptized. Centuries ago, you would hear lots of sermons about repentance. And people would pound the pulpit. So you need to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the message that John Baptist preached before the church even began. Repent, the kingdom of God is near. But repentance, we don't talk about repentance anymore because repentance is sometimes uncomfortable. And let me explain to you what repentance is. Repentance is simply like a military term uh, similar to about face. It simply means if you're heading in one direction, to repent is to turn from the direction you're heading and to go the complete opposite direction 
direction. Did you know that you have a responsibility as a growing Christian to repent from the sins in your life? See, we teach from time to time, you know, you've heard 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We love that. Because I can sin and I can go to Jesus and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And guess what? He will. He will. He won't hold it against you. Um, He'll wipe the slate clean. But if you've ever had a conversation with someone who apologizes for the same thing over and over, it gets kind of old, doesn't it? Like, hey, I'm so sorry for doing that. And then we do it again. Hey, listen, I'm so sorry for doing that. And we do it again. So sorry for doing that. We get to do it again. And there comes a point where they're kind of like, you know, stop apologizing because you're not really sorry. You're not changing anything. Your actions don't support your words. And that should be our attitude when it comes to Jesus, right? This is who I used to be. God made me new. I was headed in this direction, and now I need to turn from that direction and head towards Jesus. I turn my back towards the things that are sin in my life, and I walk towards Jesus. He forgives us our sins, and we have a responsibility to repent of those sins. And, and so just, just, just a simple next step for all of us today as we close our time together. What areas of your life need repentance? What areas of your life need for you to turn from them and to go towards Jesus and stop doing the things that you've been doing? For some of you, it's things you've looked at, things you've said, it's, it's motivations of your heart, it's thoughts that you have, it's actions that you do. There's, there's things in all of our lives that are, that are impacted because sin is pulling on us that we take simple steps and say, you know what? I'm not going to struggle with that anymore. I'm going to turn from that. I'm going to turn away from that, and I'm going to walk towards Christ. Next week, we're going to talk about more specific steps, but all I wanted to leave us with today is this, this simple thought. We have a gap between who we want to be and who God wants us to be and who we really are. Our goal isn't to hide the gap, okay? You have permission. You don't have to hide the gap around here. I know you struggle with things. You know I struggle with things. We can be real with each other, okay? But we have to take responsibility and start growing. That's what closes that gap. And one of the ways that we do that is through water baptism. And the second way, more practical way for a lot of us who have already been water baptized is that we start repenting of sin. As we repent of sin, we close that gap because who we want to be doesn't include sin. And so we think on a large scale, on a small scale, what are things in my life, what are motivations in my heart, what are things that cause me to be a wretched man in the sight of God? And we turn from them. And we change. And we head in a different direction by the grace and the mercy of Jesus. It's okay to struggle. It's not okay to be content with your gap. God wants more for you, and that involves growing, and that's your responsibility. I hope that I can help with that. I hope I can be an encouragement to you along the way. I hope that our church will meet some needs that will help you begin the process to growing.
But until you start repenting of sin, that's kind of first steps for things in your life, it's going to be really hard for you to close gaps. The presence of sin is always with you, but you can overcome by God's grace 